1: Solskjaer has won the European Cup For Manchester United It's absolutely
0: astonishing The double Is definitely Manchester United Too far for Ronaldo to think about it
1: Absolutely sensational red in Russia, this English night in
0: Europe is Manchester United's night.
1: Welcome to the Manchester United weekly podcast. The nature of the festive period means it's been three games since we last spoke. The first of those was a woeful 2-0 loss to Watford away from home but Solskjaer's Reds followed it up with a 4-1 dismantling of Newcastle United at home on Boxing Day and a reasonably comfortable away 2-0 victory against Burnley at Turf Moor. We talk through those games, Dortmund's signing of Erling Haaland and United's next game away at Arsenal on New Year's Day. Enjoy the show. I took my my first trip to Turf Moor on Saturday evening. Fortunately, the I think what's notoriously one of the coldest grounds in the league wasn't too cold, and definitely wasn't too wet, which was uh, dodged a bullet there. But what was on show was a, a United side determined to break down Burnley with a, a good set up and a team that played a good game from United. Very satisfying and and, and a well deserved win to send United into fifth going into 2020.
0: One of the few deserved. Very good performances away from home against a smaller team that we've had under Solskjaer. It was very refreshing, actually, to see us put in a performance that, you know, probably won't be remembered very much past this week, but had a lot of positive signs in it for United. We actually dominated the game for large stretches. Burnley had a few periods in the second half as they were chasing the game where they put us under pressure. But we actually controlled the game very well in the first half, I thought. Probably should have been more than 1-0 ahead going into the break. But I think we, we did very, very well against a, a Burnley side that are tough to break down. A notoriously difficult ground to go to, although Burnley's results against the big teams haven't actually been as good as their reputation might might suggest. But it's a, a very positive performance. We've, we've seen so many times this season and at the end of last season, these are the types of games that we slip up in. So it's nice to see us get the job done and eventually see that with the Rashford uh, late goal.
1: Yeah, that, that Rashford goal was one of those those late goals that kind of you you feel that your team deserves and and because of that is is all the more satisfying and and it was it was it was kind of like a this release of 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 relief after a game in which you you just expected United to crumble at some point you expected De Gea to make a mistake Lindelof to make a mistake or um, one of the Burnley's tall um, imposing strikers to get their head on a on a cross from a corner or something and and, and that never came. And instead, what came was a United side that defended well, that adjusted to their opposition well, but also imposed their own game on Burnley and got the the late 95th minute goal from Rashford, a slightly unorthodox finish um, from him. But he, he did so well to make up the ground, keep up with Dan James, get past him and then get into the space that, that allowed him to, to double United's lead. And, and I want to start, <laughs> wow, this is probably a rare one, we normally kind of start on individuals but I want to start on, on, on how Solskjaer set United up. When Nemanja Matic came into the side, uh, I I was concerned. Um I think I think most of us was, but he did well and, and the, the rest of midfielders did well as well actually. But Matic comes into midfield, something I was against but worked because of his height and his his aerial ability and presence. He won five aerial battles more than any other United player and the second most on the pitch and Given that Burnley played almost 70 long balls in 90 minutes, that was pretty essential. So although I, I'm not in favour of playing Matic, say, against Arsenal on New Year's Day or in future games at Burnley, at Turf Moor, it, it was the right decision from Solskjaer and it paid off.
0: Yeah, I think as same as you. I was pretty concerned when I saw Matic come in. You know, obviously McTominay was injured, Pogba, his, fit, his fitness is still not 100% after his long injury layoff. But I think I was I was not particularly happy when I saw Matic on the on the team sheet. You were kind of hoping that someone like James Garner might be given a chance in midfield. And most of that comes from long balls played up to him that he holds up and then lays off to uh, the likes of Jeff Hendrick in midfield. And, and then they spread the ball and he crosses in the box. And having someone like Matic in there with his physical presence was really, really essential for us in stopping the flow of of Burnley's attacking plate. And it might seem a little, you know, I don't, I don't really know what the word is, but a little uh, almost like small clubs kind of mentality for United to be going into a place like Burnley and, and you know letting Burnley dictate our team selection. But I think you have to recognise that when you have a slightly leaky defence, which United certainly have, and I think that was our first Premier League clean sheet since September, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah. So yeah, you know, I think you have to recognise when you have a bit of a leaky defence, sometimes you have to shore things up a little bit and Matic did exactly that. And, and fair play to him, despite all the criticism that we and pretty much every other United fan have rightly given him over the last year or so, he actually came in and performed really well. Yeah,
1: and uh, I, I'm, it it's not as if United were settling back and, and letting Burnley do what they wanted. It was it was the introduction of 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 a certain player, of one player, to allow the rest of the team to to play like like they wanted to. And United did that. It's not United didn't go there just counter attacking the whole time, sitting back and letting Burnley. Um, defend. And in fact for the majority of it it was the opposite but Matic's presence allowed kind of united the rest of the united players to to do what they wanted and it it was a a really positive performance and it this relates to the Newcastle game as well and we'll we'll talk a, a little bit about that specifically in a second but united's front line for for once kind of showed their quality in this this kind of game and the point about the defense and, and this actually Victor Lindelof as well who's had not the best few weeks and has been better than Harry Maguire probably but not hasn't been at his best and his aerial presence has, has always been a concern since he joined United um, a couple of years ago but he seemed to be getting into the back of, of Barnes and Chris Wood more than he has done in other Premier League games and it was as if someone had spoken to him and, and had a word and said look this is you need to make your, your presence felt. This is how you need to stop them winning quite so many aerial battles. And I, I think I read a stat that said this was the smallest number of, of aerial duels that Burnley had won in a game in the Premier League this season. So United clearly stopped Burnley at what they were doing, uh, what they're best at. And what they did themselves was was some really nice attacking play from, from Marshall, Rashford and James that had a great effect. And that was helped by, by the selection of Brandon Williams at left back as well.
0: Yeah, I think Lindelof's biggest weakness as a defender... Has always been his, his sort of physical presence, his ability to really, you know, put his physical stamp on the game. Whether that's his aerial ability or whether it's you know when strikers get a ball into their feet and try and hold it up, they, Lindelof doesn't really have the physical presence to to kind of bully strikers off the ball, which is what you want from a centre back. But he showed that he he is capable of doing that on, against Burnley. I thought he it was one of his best performances of the season in a situation where you don't really expect him to thrive just based on what his game usually is. So, you know, fair play to, to Lindelof. I think he did. He stepped up to the plate. He did very, very well up against the likes of Barnes. I, I you know, 100% right against Brandon Williams. I thought he was one of our best players against Burnley. He was brilliant going forward. He was solid defensively. And he continues to impress and continues to to really show us that we have a, a bright future at, at, at left-back. And I, at this point, I think he should be, be given faith, have faith put into him over over Luke Shaw, I think as we've said earlier in the season there's no need for him to be playing every game at this point but I think definitely at least one game a week sh- should be Brandon Williams at left back over, over Luke Shaw.
1: Yeah and it goes back to Solskjaer's selection again. Williams was brought in to to give some attacking threat and to rotate and the same was actually true of Ashley Young. Now obviously that goes down to giving Aaron wan a rest as well but Young actually did offer United something and I was checking this the other day for an article I was writing, and Young is the most productive of of any of Manchester United's fullbacks in terms of an attacking threat. And to be honest, that's not that surprising given the few games that Brandon Williams has had. But Young and Williams at, at a ground like Burnley meant that United had a, a little more variety. And this is something I about something I complained about when United played Everton and, and Watford is that the fullbacks just weren't offering anything apart from in defence. And, and Shaw was actually being a negative influence on United's game. So Williams was did absolutely fantastically, as as he always does. And also resting Aaron Wan-Bissaka gives him a, a much-needed rest, but also he was one booking away from a suspension, and now that, that rule has reset for the second half of the season, so that avoids a suspension for him for the Arsenal game. So this United team was, was well-selected and performed well, but particularly the front three. Martial scored again, Rashford scored again, and, and Solskjaer has found his front three. And I think... I think the thing is with he, he knew what his front three was at the start of season and the Martial injury put a stop to that but now we're seeing it settling down and beginning to work well with each other
0: well I think going back to the fullbacks obviously this is, a, is a, an extreme example but if you look at the other end of the scale look at how much attacking threat it comes from Liverpool's fullbacks I know obviously as I'm saying you know it's maybe an unrealistic standard to aspire to because this is sort of production from fullbacks that we've never seen before but The number of assists, goals and and just good attacking play that comes from Andy Robertson and Trent Alexander-Arnold for Liverpool is absolutely astonishing. You know, Alexander-Arnold got a goal and an assist against Leicester. And it's just unbelievable when you watch them play and you see how involved they are in all of Liverpool's build-up. And you contrast that with Man United over the last few years and even this year to some extent. I mean, when Ashley Young is the most productive attacking outlet from any of your fullbacks, you know there's a bit of a problem there because or actually Young might be a you know a previously uh, a winger, but he's not exactly a, a top class winger and doesn't provide the kind of service that you'd want from a fullback. Yeah. So I think having someone like Brandon Williams in there and the slight improvement that we've seen from Wan Bissaka in the last couple of weeks going forward is is huge for us. But I think in terms of the front line, couldn't agree yeah. more that this is United's front three going forward. This should be the starting lineup in basically every game until the start of the season, I think, and. One hundred percent is is our strongest our strongest
1: attacking lineup. Yeah, well, it's effectively Rashford and Martial, and then and then one of Greenwood and and Dan James, and that that works well for United. And in terms of the fitness of the players, I'm going to talk about Marcus Rashford in a second. But James, first of all, fouled time and time again, um, and, and just keeps going, forces it again, is is adored by the fans and, and rightly so. He's not always getting the assist, getting the goal or whatever, but he played in a few lovely passes for for Rashford and Martial when on the counter attack. He He's he's got the the right timing of the ball. He waits a little bit. He's not too early giving that ball to Rashford and Martial, and then plays it into the right um, area of the pitch for them to run on it and, and control it, and then get the goal. So he's doing really well. But I think it was three bookings that he forced out of Burnley um, on Saturday evening, and I remember I can't. I think it was Everton where he caused a few other bookings, and then Palace as well. There's been. There's been so many games where James has just continually forced defenders normally tired because of how quick he is to, to bring him down and get the booking and it happens time and time again and he, he keeps going after getting kicked and it's it's brilliant to watch.
0: Yeah, I mean the way he's endeared himself to fans should come as no surprise. The way he plays is exactly what has endeared players to fans over the years at Man United. Someone who's young, exciting, a little bit raw but provides these moments of just pure pure excitement honestly and, and you you're never quite sure exactly what he's going to do when he's on, on the ball, which is both a compliment and an insult to some degree in that uh, sometimes I don't think Dan James knows exactly what he's about to do next. But that unpredictability can be a huge asset to us going forward at times. And just having his pace as an outlet on the break is absolutely huge. And he's proved so many times this season that his pace isn't the only thing to his game. He does have the quality. I mean, the ball that he played for um, for Rashford's yeah. goal was absolutely sublime around the burnley defender put rashford in in acres of space to go and, and get a shot on goal yeah and it, there's been little moments like that all season where you just realize that you know although pace is a huge part of his game it's not all that he has
1: yeah it's it's the decision making that's i think we've been most impressed with and about him not what no what not knowing what he's going to do when he gets the ball, that's, it's not really that much of an issue. There are some players who, for especially central midfielders, who obviously need to know what they're going to do next. But for, for a direct player like James, I was saying uh, to you just before we start recording, I was watching Wayne Rooney on, on Gary Neville's soccer box last night. And, the, and Rooney came out with this quote where he said they were watching, I think it was a goal when he was 16 or 17 playing for Everton. And he said he had no idea. I had no idea what I was going to do when I got on the ball there. And it's like, well, th- this was that was how Rooney played when he started at Everton and when he started at United just he was so direct and that, that's what scared defenders and the same is true of Dan James. it, it doesn't he doesn't necessarily need to know what he's gonna do on the ball next as long as he he knows that he's just gonna keep going towards goal and at some point he's gonna either pass or shoot or release it in some way. And the other thing you saw on, on 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 soccer box was was the number of counterattacking goals where Rooney does the same as Rashford is doing now, where he just absolutely sprints forward from the edge of his own box to catch up with United's counter-attacking move and that is what Rashford did for, for United's second goal against Burnley and it's what he's done so many times this season and not really got the reward for and actually did I think three or four times against Burnley without scoring before he, he got his goal in the end and it, it, it was a deserved goal because he's done that he's done that so much and it, it's uh, the desire you want to see from United.
0: Absolutely and we've said so many times over the course of the season that Rashford's movement and his ability to, to read the game in, in, at such a high level is 100% the, the best part of his game and it's the reason why I've I've said all season that this is now Rashford's team you and know, I've always thought that Rashford really was a better option for us than Martial because I think the way he understands the game his movement off the ball is just at such a high level I, I think it, it offers us so much going forward and you're right that this team is starting to morph into something something similar to some of the, the great moments that we had back at, at the start of the decade and, and we we are so far away from from that sort of level but we are starting to see players sort of morph into the same kind of roles that we had in those sort of teams the issue now is to get the consistency yeah. back because for all for all the great you know the great things that we're saying happened against burnley and it and it was certainly a positive performance i think one thing that we have to bear in mind is is the nature of the goals we scored and that goes for the newcastle game as well you know the game against burnley comes from one horrific mistake uh, by Burnley's left back, leading to the goal for Martial. Then obviously a, a 95th minute goal on the counter as Burnley are chasing the game. And then against Newcastle, you know, two of the goals come from terrible mistakes by Newcastle's defence. One comes from a, a mistake by Martin Dubravka. And so yeah. I, I don't want to put too much of a dampener on the positivity that we're feeling, because at the end of the day, we have been ruthless and we've shown our quality to to make those teams pay for all of those those mistakes. Yeah. but I don't think we should let these two results completely cloud what we're feeling because a lot of the same issues that we've been having are still there and a few goals yeah, yeah. from opposition's mistakes shouldn't cloud that entirely. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I think, yeah, th- the point about opposition's mistakes is, is definitely valid and Newcastle and Burnley are two teams that we, we've we seen do that over the course of the season, not just against United, but Pereira did fantastically to force a mistake from from Burnley on Saturday and the same was absolutely. true against Newcastle. and. Yeah, the thing United have to work on is, is a consistency in that front three, but also shoring up their, their defence and, and being able to create more than just a counter-attacking team. This is what we've said. Yeah. Is that When you've got the... In, in some games, United will be able to show just how good they are as an attacking side because that space will open up maybe two or three times in a game and they'll capitalise on it maybe once or twice. And they did that against Burnley. They did it a few times against Newcastle. In other games, like Watford, in the in the last half an hour, that space just wasn't there and United couldn't do it. And so they need to find more variety. And
0: we could have didn't capitalise on, on the mistakes that did happen. You know, you think of the Jesse Lingard yeah, chance in the first yeah. half where he ends up chipping it over, over the keeper. Comes from a little bit of pinball, a little bit of luck for us on the halfway line. And, and you know, as much as I'm saying that Burnley and, and Newcastle were a lot down to their, their mistakes, which it was, you still have to be ruthless and actually make them pay for yeah. those mistakes. And we didn't against Watford. And you wonder how differently that game might have turned out if Lingard had have taken that chance and had made Watford pay for that little bit of luck that we got.
1: Yeah, last thing on Rafford is that now 16 goals for the season. Only Vardy has more goals than him in the league. I think that was definitely true before the Arsenal-Chelsea game. That that stat might have changed now. But he ends the decade as... Manchester United's second highest goal scorer in all competitions behind Wayne Rooney. And it's, to be fair, it shows you just how big Rooney's impact even on this decade is because Rashford has 61 in, in the 2010s for Manchester United, 84 behind Wayne Rooney's 145 goals for United since 2010. Um, so yeah, yeah, Rooney's clearly been probably United's most important player of the decade, but Rashford is on course of his best season at the age of 22 and, and just four appearances short of 200 for um, his his career so far, so he he's doing fantastically, and going into a new decade, he could be the the Wayne Rooney of this decade for for Manchester United. On to the Newcastle United game, where eighteen year old Mason Greenwood did it again for United, the second time in a fortnight that he's rescued the socialist side, and a deflection on what was a good strike in a in a really excellent performance from him.
0: I've loved watching Mason Greenwood play all season. I think he's proven just why we think he's such an exciting talent, and it was another very, very accomplished performance. And not only the goal, obviously the goal was a great strike, even if it did take a a little bit of a deflection on the way through. But I think what impresses me so much is his understanding of the game. His movement is very, very strong. And on the ball, he's very composed. And I think it's such a great sign when you see a young player not getting overawed by the occasion. You see so many young players coming into the team and wanting to do everything themselves. They want to beat four men and, and put the finishing touch on a great attack. But Greenwood sort of understands his role in that team. He's been he's played in a lot of different situations against you know smaller teams in the in the League Cup, went in against slightly bigger teams in the Premier League, and every every time he's come in, he's done a very good job for us. And I think the signs going forward for Mason Greenwood are are just so so positive and so exciting for yeah, us. Yeah,
1: absolutely. It's, it's the the composure with which Greenwood plays on the on the pitch. You see, you mentioned the the mistake from from Newcastle where Greenwood. Kind of pounces on a on a bad mistake from the Newcastle defense on a on a poor pass, but it's he doesn't take one touch and shoot straight away it 's one touch the second touch gets out of his feet, and then he waits and then pulls the trigger in and It is a really good strike, probably probably would have been just tipped over the bar. Um, by the Newcastle keeper but got the deflection but that, that's the kind of thing that he does he forces mistakes he forces things to happen in games where you're not expecting them to so the, the Everton equaliser for example was when none of United's other players on the pitch could could force anything but Mason Greenwood did it and the same was true against Azed Alkmaar where he produced two goals pretty much out of nowhere and, and against Newcastle again and, and this Newcastle game was another really important one like Burnley because although it wasn't away from home although it didn't involve breaking down a side that were really good United did have to have, have to kind of come up against a good defensive side with two solid defensive lines and also came from behind. And that's another big positive thing.
0: I think it showed us all of our frailties, all of our weaknesses in the first half and exactly why for so many months this season we've been so negative about Man United. But it also showed us the potential that we have and, and that there is some resilience in this team. Although they have, we do have some mental frailty at times there is also some resilience in this team and some inner belief. I think really what's key for for us is the first sort 10-15 of minutes after we face any kind of adversity. Because it seems like if we are able to come back immediately from whether it's conceding a goal or getting a man sent off, whatever it might be, if we can have a strong immediate reaction from that, we are able to bounce back and we are able to show some resilience. And that's exactly what happened against Newcastle. I think it was six minutes or so. The Newcastle were in the lead for before, uh, before, was it Mason Greenwood's goal the first? No, before Martial's strike, sorry. And um, I, know I it, it does show that there is some resilience in this team. We are able to come back from from some hardships. And again, it, it's the excitement that we have in our front line. Yes, three of the goals came from Newcastle mistakes, but you still got to take advantage of those mistakes and we were ruthless enough to do that. I mean, Rashford's goal was straight out of the uh, Cristiano Ronaldo playbook, getting up early, leaping over the defender at the back post and a positive sign for Wan-Bissaka as well getting an assist which would be huge for his confidence and the whole game he, he provided us a much better attacking outlet than he has done for the majority of the season. Yeah,
1: that, that was one of the big positives as well was, was Wan-Bissaka's crosses, not all of which were converted but a couple of them were and caused some problems for Newcastle and that's, as you say, not something we've seen. Um, right, we'll, we'll move on. We can't give you a, a really a youth update this week because the under-23s, the under-18s and the women's teams... Uh, all on winter breaks, so nothing new from them. But it's worth noting that in the recent game against Burnley, they had three players from the United Academy, McNeil, Bardsley and Robbie Brady, all from Manchester United's Academy. So that's uh, the side of things that we don't always see at Old Trafford necessarily, but another positive for the club's Academy. Now let's talk about uh, Borussia Dortmund's latest signing. Not something we'd normally do on the Manchester United weekly podcast, but they've completed the signing of Erling Haaland, the Norwegian striker from RB Salzburg for... A fee of what people think is around €20 million or €30 maybe pushing it. But um, Michael Byers has tweeted in to say, This might be crazy, but I'm glad Haaland signed for Dortmund. Free some money to sign one or two midfielders. We already have Rashford, Marshall, Greenwood, James and Lingard who are all in their early 20s. The the Lingard one might be pushing it there with early 20s. And he says, We need a holding and an attacking midfielder or number 10. Now, I think there's... there's definitely a, a debate over this Haaland signing. One is, if Solskjaer wanted United to sign Haaland, then the fact he's gone to Dortmund is, is quite clearly a negative. And the other side of it is, well, United have avoided a deal with Mino Raiola, which, according to reports from various people, including The Athletic and, and quite a few people you would rely on, Borussia Dortmund have effectively handed control of Haaland's future to Mino Raiola, the super agent who also manages Paul Pogba. And basically, because he's got a buyout clause... Uh, which we don't know how much that is yet, at Borussia Dortmund, Haaland and his agent effectively control what he's going to do in about two years' time, which might be to join Manchester United for somewhere between 40 and, and £80 million. Pounds. So United have avoided that deal. They've avoided having to deal with Reola or Erling Haaland's father, who is thought to be demanding 5% of his future sell-on fee. So there's a few positives and as Michael Byatt says on Twitter it frees up some money for potentially some other January signings what did you make of it when when you saw the, the the news of Dortmund signing I
0: was shocked just because there had been so much speculation around Haaland coming to United and it seemed like a lot of that speculation was simply because of how widespread it was 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 probably built on some sort of a concrete link but I think in some ways not too surprised It always felt like a slightly strange signing for United, especially in January. We we don't have a particularly deep track record of making big signings in January. I think I think Michael makes a good point about the attacking talent that we do have. And I think I always saw this as a signing really spelling the end of potentially Martial's time at, at United, because I think he would most likely be the one to to drop out of, of that front three in favour of Erling Haaland. I'm I think it, it really depends on. How well this team keeps progressing, and and, and you know that's really a, a bit of a cop out answer from me about whether this is a good decision or not. Because part of, part of me thinks when you have such a good talent available for twenty five thirty million pounds, why wouldn't you go out and get him? You know, it's a relatively cheap price in this market for a very good young talent. But Michael does make a good point that you know this definitely isn't our main priority area. And whilst I don't think this is the case, but if it is the case that money was was limited, then if we have the choice to either sign a midfielder or Erling Haaland I definitely think the midfielder should have been prioritised however I, I just don't think that is the case with the money and I think we are able to do both and I think this could be something that we come to regret in a few years but if the attacking signs that we see seeing from this team at the moment continue and we can get Martial firing then obviously we might all be looking at this saying it was a, 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 missed, a dodge bullet
1: yeah I think the the three good things United have got by missing out on Haaland uh, if it was missing out is that they've avoided dealing with Rola as I already said they've also got at least until the end of the season to allow United's current front line so James, Rashford, Martial, Greenwood etc to continue to play together to develop and basically to prove themselves because Solskjaer can go to them and say look you've got until May or the end of May to show that you are going to be the regular starter for Manchester United and if not we're going to sign someone else in, in the summer and then they would have had a full season after the the selling of, of Sanchez and Lukaku to show that they're, they're the right players for Manchester United so that's another good point point. and also United can go back and get Haaland in the future and if he's got this buyout clause which well we know he's got a buyout clause depending on how much it is yes they're going to have to pay more and that's kind of classic Manchester United is not getting the players cheap and instead having to pay more for them but they can go and get him in two years' time if he is um, the real deal. I think if he is the real deal, then he probably won't be coming to Manchester United and he'll be going somewhere else. So it's it's definitely a conflicted one, but when I saw the news, I, I wasn't I wasn't sat there thinking United have, have missed out, this is the end of their season, or, or this is the end of the world, because I just don't think it is. We've got another transfer-related question from Ike Yogoala who says, what do we need most, a defensive midfielder or an attacking midfielder? I think United... And again, this is uh, probably going to be another cop-out, but depending on the future of Paul Popper, the, the answer to this question changes. If Popper is going to be a number 10 and attacking midfielder, then United should obviously be looking to sign a defensive midfielder for now, at least. And the truth is if Popper leaves, then United need both. And if Popper stays, United probably also need both as well.
0: I think for me, I agree that we do need both, absolutely. But I think if I had to pick one or the other, I would say an attacking midfielder is more... I think, you know, despite the fact that our defensive woes have been well documented this season and we have gone so long without a clean sheet I think Scott McTominay has performed very very well in that role and although he isn't a traditional holding midfielder I think he can come in and do a good job in there I think for me an attacking midfielder would just provide us with such a huge huge benefit going forward it really you know you watch you watched a team like Manchester City play smaller, smaller teams who sit back and try to uh, stay in a deep block and hit them on the counter attack and just time after time Kevin De Bruyne and David Silva are just picking those teams apart with sublime balls with the kind of vision that they have. And we just don't have anyone at all with that kind of ability in our team. You know, you'd probably say one matter is the the person with the best ability to pick apart a defence like that in sort of tight spaces. And yet, you know, his performances for us in the last years have been pretty awful. Paul Pogba makes a huge difference to us when he plays. But I think he's at his best when he's in more of a box-to-box kind of role and and not when he's playing as a number 10. I I, I just think an attacking midfielder would make such a massive difference to us and specifically make a huge difference to us in the games in which we've struggled against the smaller teams that sit deep. So I agree with you that we do need both, but I think at the moment an attacking midfielder should definitely be the priority.
1: Yeah, right. We should uh, quickly preview the Arsenal game on New Year's Day at 8 o'clock. A strange kick-off time, but... Perhaps, uh, it's terrible for fans travelling down from Manchester, but given I'm in London for Christmas and, and not up in Manchester, it kind of works well for me because it means I can recover from uh, New Year's Eve and then get up and, and get ready to go to the Emirates to watch United hopefully beat Arsenal. This is a a tricky game, another one where United will probably have to cope without their first choice midfield. Scott McTominay looks out to be out for three or four weeks. Paul Podber might not be ready, so... United going to have to debate over who to start again, Nemanja Matic and Fred and Andreas Pereira or is it going to be some other formation, some other shape and some other selection of midfielders? Uh, we won't dwell on this too long, but are you expecting a United win at the Emirates?
0: I think it. I think it's going to be a tough game. Arteta, despite the fact he hasn't got a win as, as Arsenal coach yet, I think has, has had some positive signs in his first couple of games and I think they'll be desperate to get his first win against us here. I think it's going to be tough. Arsenal look Dangerous, especially in the first half an hour against Chelsea were very very good and our midfield worries us I think our only saving grace is that Arsenal's midfield isn't isn't too much stronger but I worry about the ability of Mesut Ozil, Ozil to uh, to open up holes for Aubameyang and Lacazette if I had to go with a scoreline I'd probably go I'd probably go with a one-all draw I think it's going to be a tight game I think we'll probably go ahead on the counter-attack and then get picked off in the second half when Arsenal are putting us under pressure and I'll go with the uh, I'll go with Dan James goal to uh, put to t- take the lead in the uh, in the first half.
1: I think the, the the game against Chelsea for Arsenal is a is kind of a positive one for United. Um, not because Chelsea have obviously extended their lead in the top four, so in that way it's not positive, but it shows it shows us what Arsenal kind of are. ...under Arteta at this early stage is that he's obviously implementing something slightly different. They look definitely better than they were. And at one point they were on, on course to, to beat Chelsea in in Arteta's um, first game. So, so that's a huge thing. But at the same time, two mistakes and, and suddenly they're losing to Chelsea. So this is a United team that has, as we said earlier in the episode, capitalised on mistakes that Newcastle and Burnley made... And has to do exactly the same against Arsenal at the Emirates, and if they do that, United should should win this game. So I think we should be seeing a very similar team to the one that played against Burnley. Actually, I wouldn't bring Jesse Lingard back in. I would stay with James Marshall and Rashford up front, and then the midfield. It's a tricky one. You've got to hope that, that Paul Pogba will be back, um, and the the pressure of Andreas Pereira in, in this game, not in not in all games, could be a positive one. And you've got to hope that Arsenal do make those mistakes and United can capitalise on them. So I'm going to go for a 2-1 United win at the Emirates to make it three consecutive wins in a row in the Premier League for United, which is something that hasn't happened for for a very long time. Um, We'll wrap things up there. And could potentially
0: spring us back into the top four for the first time in a very long time.
1: Yeah, we need a a few results to go our way. But things things are looking better than they were a couple of weeks ago and that's... Always the case for United. Things are looking better than they were, then worse than they were, and, and the inconsistencies. I think the last episode was titled "The Inconsistency Strikes Back," and you've got to hope that doesn't happen against Arsenal, and then, and then in the games against Watford and and City in the in the cup. So that's all we have time for on the Manchester United Week podcast. For more from us throughout the week, you can find Jack on Twitter at
0: at T A I T.
1: and you can find me on Twitter at Harry Robinson sixty four, and the podcast itself at utdweeklypod. That's p o d at the end. Thanks very much for listening. Goodbye.